Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. I'd like to welcome uh, Pavan, a well-rounded branding, marketing, and business management professional with 19 years of experience, 11 years of which were managing top-line growth and two years managing P&L. Pavan is currently the chief marketing officer of Nandu's. Nandu is one of India's fastest-growing hyper-local omnichannel meat and packaged foods brand. He heads the branding and marketing PR CRM efforts at Nandu. Welcome, Pavan. Pleasure to meet you and talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite, Darshan. Very happy to be here. So start off with your aha moments in your life that have put you on this path to bring you to where you are now. Many, many actually. So I'm an engineer by education. So while I was still studying and while I was in university, I did uh, a sort of an extended internship with an architect. He was an independent architect who would design as well as build smaller residential apartments and things of that sort. So that's when I started actually going to the construction site and I was going about my job. And that's one of the first aha moments was I realized that this doesn't work for me. This is not something that I would want to do, you know. So going on from there to something which was a little more interesting was also when I moved away from engineering into more developing products as well as product marketing. We started off by developing a virtual reality-based simulator, and I'm talking about this somewhere around the year 2006, so it was quite some time. Virtual reality was not yet the buzzword. People, Not many people had heard about it. So as typical engineers, we built a product which we thought was rich in feature sets, and people would just line up and buy it. You know, but uh, we couldn't sell more than a few products, try as hard as we could. We were trying to figure out what is it. Everything seems to be fine. We seem to have incorporated every sort of feedback that research through at us from a product perspective, but nobody's really buying it. You know, that's when we sort of spoke to a couple of senior marketing people. And I can't remember this one conversation with a very senior professional and an elderly gentleman. And uh, we explained the product, we pitched it to him, much like, um, you know, we would pitch it to a customer. He listened to us very patiently for a long time and turned around and asked us, who is your competition for this product? And we said, there's absolutely nobody. There's nobody selling this product in the market that we are operating in. And he just turned around and said, so are you selling something that nobody really wants? It didn't hit us then. We were young and ambitious. We walked out of the meeting thinking the elderly man wouldn't understand technology and this is not something that he would get. So he probably doesn't understand the potential. But that thought, we let it sink in and we realized that we'd built a dancing white elephant and <laughs> people seen a white elephant at all. So and that was another aha moment where we said, okay, it's very important for us to start from the consumer, start from the customer, and then get back to what is the product that you want to develop. And not the other way around, just because we think there's an opportunity and you know we're good at building it. So the engineering mindset changed into a more marketing one. And that was a very big aha moment in my career. <laughs> in fact, now you're in marketing, not even engineering, right? 
<laughs> no? And this was, this was many moons back. So this was many moons ago, almost about 17, 18 years ago. So then began my journey into marketing. Well, you know, you're going to be a good one to ask this because I often talk about a story that I've experienced. And that is when I was working on a programming project, one of the engineers said, you know, I've uh, given you 12 different ways to sort the data. And I asked him, why are you giving me 12? He says, because I can. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yes, but I think consumers are overwhelmed. Give them three good options because beyond that, it becomes a little bit too daunting and overwhelming. But again, was the engineer wrong? No. But, you know, you can correct me because you're an engineer. Engineers are not trained to think from the market perspective or customer's perspective, are they? Well, they're not. They're not uh, taught to think that way. They're only taught to build a product which is really good to try and you know put in feature sets, which um, quite honestly, I must admit, this is not a comment about engineers everywhere. At least me, I was thinking this needs to be really kick-ass. You know, this feature is something that shouldn't exist anywhere, even if it's a very small thing. I need to get this in there. You know, that was the driving force beyond, you know, we didn't care about the customer. We didn't care about the user. We don't really know how he's going to use it. But we want to make the best product ever. But, you know, nowadays with the convergence of everything digital, about UI, UX, all this stuff, you need both. You need to really wear both hats, right? You need the engineering hat, but you also need the marketing hat. So let me ask you, since you've worn both hats, how do you reconcile the difference and how do we get engineers to get the perspective that marketers bring? But then how do we get marketers to get the perspective that engineers bring? Sort of talk about my own journey. For me, it was the school of hard knocks. You know, not being able to sell something, your products are not moving off the shelf. There are no repeat purchases happening. So the shelves are not getting filled. So that's when you start to sort of dig deeper and try to understand what's working, what's not working. So that was my journey. But in general, I would believe that marketing to me is all about objectivity, right? So what is the challenge that you're trying to overcome? What is the objective that you're trying to achieve? The more clarity and the more simple you could make that and define and answer those questions first, I think that much better your chances are at succeeding at it. And I feel engineers are pretty good at defining the problem statement, okay? So that is something that they could bring to the table in terms of certain skill set, because you go talk to any product guy, you go talk to any engineer, he'll start by defining the boundaries of the problem that he's trying to solve. It could be design, it could be an analysis of any sort. So he'll first draw out the parameters and say, you know, he defines the problem before he or she starts working on it. And I think that but they lose complete focus of, you know, who's going to use it, how are they going to use it, are they comfortable using it and things of that sort. And that's what marketers could bring. This sort of an amalgamation is absolutely necessary, especially in today's world, where a lot of the products are completely digital, or most of them are almost everything as a digital interface, right? I mean, today you have air conditioners at home which take voice commands. So there's no escaping that. It's not just digital. I mean, you were really talking about the overall customer experience, right? In today's world, in business, Digital is going to be a big part of that component in terms of the total experience, right? From when they learn about the product to when they actually investigate other options and to actually reviewing reviews and ultimately writing their own reviews. There's no way to escape the digital. So and it's all about creating the proper experience for consumers. So do your recommendation for engineers or marketers 
how to bridge that gap and ensure that there's an overall good experience from the product to the actual interaction with the product as well. I believe what you brought up there, Darshan, is a very good point because a brand gets built because of the experiences that a user or a customer has with multiple touch points. You know, it's not just about using the product or then figuring out whether the product was good or bad. So I think it's very important for us to consider the right amount of intervention and build an interaction which is very fruitful and seamless as an experience for the customer. After all, you want to make everything very hassle-free and make everything very linear so it is easy for them to follow through. So I think to build a product today or to build an experience today, you would need both. You would need superior engineering and product development skills, but you would also need a very good marketing mindset, which is driven not by you know a gut feel or what commonly happens, but it's actually carefully observed behaviors of customers during this entire journey. In fact, in my opinion, a lot of these should actually be led by somebody who's well-seasoned and experienced in understanding behaviors and being able to layer that with the marketing objectives and then create some sort of a product requirements document or have a regular cadence during the process of development to make sure that all these points are getting ticked off. So I'm curious now, if I was to change your marketing hat and put you back in the engineer hat and take you back in time with the knowledge you have now of marketing everything, and let's say you were to revisit that virtual reality project you did, how would you do it different this time versus the first time? I'd start by first talking to customers who would use it, you know, really understand are we trying to solve a problem for them which they need a solution to versus, you know, trying to do something and, you know, hit the ball out of the park where they're not even looking at batting over there, you know. So it's it's absolutely important. I would start by understanding what is the value that I'm going to be delivering to them willing to pay for that value? How much are they willing to pay for it? And is it something that's so absolutely necessary that they're actually seeking a new product or some sort of a solution that is way better than how they're figuring out to go about what they're doing now? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a two-part question, right? One is, are they seeking a solution to this problem? And two, are they willing to pay for it? (laughs) Because sometimes there's a gap between that as well, right? Even if someone may want a solution, they may not be willing to pay for it. So you actually need to cover both. But I'm curious now, I'm going to push you a little bit more into the engineering hat. When you were talking earlier about the feature sets, you wanted to throw everything in and anything at it so that it was just an awesome product. Again, having the same scenario, how would you approach even that differently? Or would you? I definitely would. You know, Typically, what we used to do was sort of have all the feature lists and then classify them or segment them into something which is new as a feature, something which is unique that your product would have compared to what competition is offering, something which is delighting, you know, something that the customer or the user would find is very delightful. So if today I was going to go through that exercise, I would focus on getting the minimum viable product out and make sure that it works and make sure that it ticks off all the basic boxes and the customer is happy using it. It delivers on what it promises. I would add the icing on the cake later. I would add the cherry on top later. I would do those releases a lot later rather than trying to take on so much in the first instance. And, you know, probably build something which is either too complex or too cumbersome to use. You know, I think that's an excellent point because people don't often realize that actually having too many features and functionality 
it can be overwhelming. And actually, it's better to have a roadmap and recognize that it's better to bring your customers up to speed gradually, build up the functionality, the likability, and everything, and that connection to your product, and then keep adding features and benefits as you go along. And I think that's what you're saying, correct? Absolutely. Do you have an example of that that you've done now in more recent times? It's been quite a while that I've not developed a tech-oriented product because I'm more into the food and beverage space. But I could give you an example in terms of what we would do for our own retail stores, which is also some sort of a product development, but for internal use. You know, This was for the cashier at the checkout counter at our stores, the billing machine or the point-of-sale machine. So we wanted a way, you know, the retail team and the sales team wanted a way in which it could highlight a point when you start to identify the customer through their mobile number to highlight one or two talking points that the cashier could nudge them to sort of increase the bill value. It could be something as simple as buying a you know, very low value item, which is like a spontaneous purchase and things of that sort. So this requirement was rooted through somebody in my team and it went straight to the development team. And as usual, they developed something which had you know, so much of information <laughs> that the guy, the cashier, the poor guy would have to scroll it two times left, right, and then try and analyze the data, you know, in a minute and try and then convince the customer. So we said, okay, this is not going to work. Okay. So it's, it's a classic example of an extension of what we've been speaking till now, right? right? So it's very important for us to define the objective, for us to ensure that the solution is meeting that brief and serves the primary purpose of what you're trying to achieve. Everything yeah. else is good to have, but oftentimes it's not a must-have or it's not even needed. It just ends up complicating the matter. <laughs> so tell me now, in your role at Nandu, first of all, tell me what is Nandu, what does it do, and your role as a chief marketing officer, and perhaps you can share one or two aha moments that you've had in this role at Nandu's. Oh, Nandu's is a brilliant brand. Incidentally, I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not a consumer of the product myself. Now, Nandu's is a part of a larger group which started organized poultry farming in India way back in 1963. The gentleman, Mr. Nandakumar, who started the group, is considered as one of the pioneers of modern poultry farming in the country. You know, the group has been into manufacturing poultry feed, having hatcheries, raising birds, owning poultry farms, and selling uh, chicken. Nandus is the consumer arm of this business where we were doing, we are so vertically integrated that right from the parent bird, right to the day old chick, to the hatchery, to the growing of the bird, to the retailing of it, everything is owned and controlled directly by us. And I'd say that we are one of the only people in the country who sort of do this, who are fully vertically integrated and we don't buy the product from somewhere else and sell it to somewhere else. Okay, we are not traders. We are not just last mile retailers. We are somebody who are farmers bringing our produce directly to consumers. And one of the very important things uh, that we do at Nandus and at our farms is we grow chicken that is 100% antibiotic free. And most of the antibiotics in growth promoters are actually fed to the chicken through the feed that is given to the chicken. Given that we manufacture our own feed, yeah, we've spent more than a decade trying to figure out a way to come up with feed, which makes sure you know the chicken also grow in a very healthy manner. And it's actually a pretty complex sort of a business because you got to take care of multiple different things. It's not just the feed. You know? So the whole business is vertically integrated. Mm -hmm. And who says the consumer face 
we have retail stores, we do have our own e-commerce app and website, we sell our products through popular marketplaces. I mean, here in India, I'm not sure if you would have heard of Swiggy, Dunzo, Zomato, and places mm-hmm. of that sort. The advent of the new quick commerce apps here, it's a very dynamic thing. So if we manage all these different formats and our products are available to multiple channels. So you say an interesting thing, you are not a meat eater, so you don't eat the chicken. But you're obviously looking to tap into the mind of the consumer on a regular basis. So how do you connect the gap there when you actually listen to people and talking about their taste, their experience, and so on? How do you ultimately relate to that? (laughs) On a lighter note, I always tell people that I'm very objective and I don't let my own personal bias come into the mix. (laughs) That's just a smart thing to say. It's not that I've never eaten meat or anything of that sort. Yes, that. You know, I draw a lot of those experiences and I've been a meat eater for more than 30 years of my life. But we do depend on a lot of voice of customer. We have a a good team who continuously is talking to customers, trying to understand what's working, what's not working, what are the triggers, what are the barriers, you know, how do they feel about the product. And we have a very nice structured approach whenever we are even launching a new product. You know, like a value-added product, which is a dish made out of the chicken that we are some stuff. So we are both a food factory as well as a primary producer of the meat itself. So what are three trends or things you're finding now among consumers when it comes to consuming chicken or any other food? What are you seeing now, especially post-COVID? There has been the need or the highlight on safety, cleanliness, and hygiene has gone up because typically... Meat is sold in our market as a very unorganized market. You know, it's typically the wet market. You would go to a nearest butcher and he would, you know, slaughter the bird in front of you and cut it into the portions that you want and give it up to you. Not an extremely clean or a hygienic, nor a scientific process. So the preference of customers, especially post-COVID and COVID has thrown a very strong light on the aspect of health, on the aspect of safety and food safety, most importantly. And it's not just COVID, even before that, uh, there has been an advent, there has been a a focus on health over the past two decades amongst consumers, focus on good quality food, good quality ingredients, which are organically grown or which are at least chemical free. So the entire clean label trend is picking up and is, is quite predominantly moving fast nowadays. And the choice of customers to sort of choose cleaner options But the one thing that really hasn't changed is the need for convenience. In fact, today, it's even more important than it was ever before because of the sort of hectic and busy lives that all of us are leading. And COVID really brought that convenience to the fore. Mm. With everybody working at home, with children being at home, to be able to manage the entire thing and do the whole thing over and over, day after day, was, you know, the spotlight on convenience is even more heightened. As somebody whose product ends up in the kitchen, you need to be the fastest to the kitchen. And you also need to be somebody who is very clean, who is absolutely very safe from a food safety point of view, and throw out a quality product. What area of consumer behavior among your customers are you looking to get a deeper, better understanding of now as well? I would say their buying pattern, at least when it comes to the business and the category that we are in, the product is something which is a high-frequency consumption-oriented product. So the buying pattern to understand what is the consumption pattern at home, how many times do they buy a week, how many times do they cook a week, do they buy it, cook it, use it when it's fresh, 
Do they store it in a refrigerator? So the entire bind to consumption pattern, to daily meal plan, what is it that they're looking at in terms of added convenience? What is the next thing that we should be looking at in the future? See, because e-commerce and getting the product delivered at home is now as good as vanilla. It's, it's a basic hygiene. So mm-hmm. the next step make it a little more convenient, a little more meaningful, and to solve a problem which is slightly out there. And we need to dig deeper to understand what is it that is emerging as a trend and what is it that we need to be prepared for, say, three or five years from now, if not over a much longer period of time. It's interesting because you mentioned a competitive analysis. I'm curious, do you not emphasize in terms of analyzing the competition and stuff? And if not, who ultimately do you feel is your competition? Oh, quite a lot of direct as well as indirect competition. We never take our eyes off competition. (laughs) As a marketeer, you're you're always gunning for that market share and you want to know what competition is up to and what they're doing. And there are quite a lot of lessons to be learned over there. Absolutely. I mean, not that that's of a lesser priority, but I think the more complex job is to sort of understand the consumer behavior, especially because it's a low consideration purchase and it's a very high frequency consumption. It it boils down to a lot of the habitual behaviors that they have, and that's very difficult to change. Hence, I would choose that uh, deeper understanding of the habitual behaviors, not just at a buying level, but at a consumption level, is absolutely necessary to understand, to be able to cater to their needs in a much better way. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of times there's too much emphasis based on what the competitor is doing and what we should do or not do in response to what they're doing. But I think the greater emphasis should be on the consumer, what they're thinking, their pain points, understand them at a deeper level. Because ultimately, if you focus on you being your biggest competitor, you're going to continue to innovate and differentiate. And to me, that seems like the better use of the spotlight on that area versus what are my competitors doing? I'm not saying don't keep an eye on the competitors. Of course you do. But I think you're kind of saying the same thing. Focus more on your core values, your core abilities, but also the pain points that you could further address in your consumers. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Bang on. You just hit the nail on the head. (laughs) But that brings me to something you mentioned earlier. And this is something that often people get when they're starting to talk about a new idea or product. And they say, who are your competitors? And people say, there's none. And then they think that's where the opportunity is. (laughs) But in reality, it's often when you are going to have competition where the greater opportunity is. Would you agree with that statement or disagree? It's a mixed bag. I've looked through one such experience myself, so (laughs) I would consider myself (laughs) thanks to the school of hard norms. So it's both. I think it's been quite a while since there's been a true innovation that we've all seen as consumers in the market, right? I mean, obviously there have been a few, but nothing which which has been built over something. There's nothing out there, which is completely, you know, blown you away, probably chat GPT. That's one thing that comes to mind recently. It's very important to have and define the business objectives before you develop a product. You're obviously doing it for profit because you can not just deliver value to customers, but to also deliver value to your own team and to your own stakeholders too. So if you begin there and if you start looking at developing a product which doesn't have a competition, then I would urge everyone to, I mean, whoever is involved, to sort of really look at what problem is it that you're trying to solve. Are you trying to address a need that really exists? Is the customer actively looking for a solution or is the customer just browsing through? Is the customer willing to pay for it? And if he's willing to pay for it, how much is he willing to pay for it? And end of the day, don't create a product that a customer doesn't use. 
he may still pay for it, but you're not going to go anywhere if the product doesn't get used. Yeah, <laughs> you so, know, that question, that discussion has always been kind of a bit of a double sword, right? Because in one way, if you say, well, there's no competition, then people say, well, then if this is such a great idea, why is nobody else doing it, right? <laughs> but on the other hand, sometimes you are actually being truly innovative, maybe not a disruptive innovation, but enough of an innovation that there really is an opportunity there that no one has thought about as well. And so what recommendation would you have to someone who's starting up and is having that kind of conversation with someone? They say, well, you know, no one else is doing this. And people say, well, if it's such a great idea, why hasn't anybody else done it? <laughs> I'd say invest in having a team of people with the right intentions and not somebody who would play the devil's advocate, but who would ask you a lot of rational and objective questions. Because the person who is sold on the idea and wants to build something is very passionate about it. And more often than not, you know, it's their passion driving it rather than cold, hard sort of sense. So it's very important that you surround yourself with people. If it's a true innovation, fantastic. You know, that's something that you would need to do. But always focus on what problem it's looking at solving and what value it's adding to somebody who's the user or the customer. You know, and don't end up developing something. And there are many projects and many products which have constantly been developed and put out there in the market, which don't really end up serving a great purpose or adding value. Yeah, I think you're right. I think also what you're saying is, it's great that you're innovative, but you're better off talking to your ultimate target market sooner than later, right? Because no matter what, they're going to speak to you one way or the other in the marketplace, but you're often going to save a lot of money, time, and anguish if you're to talk to the customer sooner. And often the innovation is good enough, but it might just need a couple of tweaks to make it palatable, or marketable, or buyable, right? That's very true. I think uh, taking off from what you just said, the first thing I would recommend, or at least a checklist that I follow for myself is not all that glitters is gold. Sort of keep that at the back of your mind. Run it past that uh, filter first. To when it comes to anything like this, try and take a proof of concept fast to the market. See if consumers are willing to buy it. Okay, you can always better the product later. You could always launch it with all the fanfare a little later. Don't put the might of everything that you have in terms of resources, energy, time, money, development into producing or developing something which is not fully tested in the market and you don't really understand or have a fair idea as to how far this is going to go. Test it. Test at every turn. It's okay. And and everything in terms of a product development is a marathon. And if you're really solving a problem to the customer, he's willing to wait. You know, at least they're open to it. So what tips or insights would you give to someone who's a real innovator, very passionate about their product, but they're not open to or not as receptive to critiques or, you know, people punching holes in their innovation or their idea? What would you say to them? I wish I knew the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Especially because, you know, they're very passionate about it. And if they're very, you know, gung-ho about going ahead and doing it, the only thing probably would be develop something which is like a proof of concept. You know, take it out there and meet people. Don't shy away from doing that. Take it out there, meet people, let them experience it, talk about it, you know, and listen to them. I'd say the most important thing is to observe, learn, listen to feedback, and don't talk to people who are not going to be your customers or who is not a representation of your customers. Don't talk to your friends about it. I mean, I'm not saying don't talk, but it's not their feedback that's important. Whoever is going to use the product, talk to them and be receptive and patient in hearing them out. I've actually often thought that the person who's criticizing or critiquing you a little bit harder, they are the tip of a potential super fan. 
right? Because they actually know at a deeper level and they're saying, you know, this is not cutting it. I need it better. I need it different. And they're actually the potential. I'm not saying in all cases, but often they have the potential to become your super fan. If you actually truly listen to what they're saying, sometimes they don't articulate it the way you may need or want, but if you actually dig deeper and really listen to what they're critiquing, they often are your super fan. Would you agree? I think what you're saying is very true, but being able to identify and distinguish between who's a super fan or who potentially is giving you good advice, whom do you need to listen to and whom not, that's probably where we would need a lot of AI and ML tech to be able to synthesize and at least give us that sort of a feedback that we can listen to. Because I, I honestly think that what you said is something that I would agree with completely. But the challenge, like I said, is being able to distill and sort of figure out what is it that you need to listen to and what you don't. You know, I think that the first step is really those that are very passionate about their product or service need to maintain that passion and everything, but be also open to receiving feedback and criticisms. And often these are not personal criticisms because, you know, when you work with someone, it's your baby, you take it very you know, close to the heart. But what I'm saying is just put that part aside, but actually listen to what people are saying. And often there are kernels and tidbits in it that could really maybe help you take your innovation to a slightly higher level and to maybe even differentiate and have a competitive edge that you may not have even thought about. Very true. Only word of caution that I would say out of experience is, while there could be a lot of feedback, always stick to the MVP to begin with. Make a note of things that you could build in the future, but tick off the right boxes to make sure that your product is off the shelf. Right. Correct. That's for sure. So I'm curious, what do you see in the future of the food business? And what would you like to maybe dig into even further going into the future? I'd say two things. The need for clean label products, the need for lesser use of chemicals and additives and artificial flavors or even anything which is not natural. The need for more natural products is going to come up, you know, especially packaged food. A lot more healthier is something which is an absolute need. It's not a fad. It's beyond a trend as well. That's something which everybody mm. is focusing on in the future. It's not just about low fat or low carb or things of that sort, but from a wholesome perspective. The second thing is convenience. Convenience is we are probably going to get busier <laughs> in the days to come. So I think the need for convenience is not going anywhere. That's something which is not going to change. It's mm. just going to impact more and more. Shelf-stable products because there's a huge opportunity and there are a lot of places where, you know, your products should be able to withstand harsh conditions right through the supply chain so mm -hmm. that if you have a product, then you should be able to distribute it across the length and breadth of wherever your market is. And it requires that there's a lot of innovation in packaging, requires that there's a lot of innovation in ensuring that, you know, products are shelf-stable without having the necessity for it to be frozen or for it to be kept chill or things of that sort. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, if you could have a lunch with anyone in the world of food or marketing, who would it be and why? Mm, well, neither, actually. If I get a chance, I'd probably want to sit down with, I'm not sure if you've heard of this band, Deep Purple, the drummer of that band, because it was a very popular band and went through a lot of turmoil. And there were people with huge egos, which is one of the reasons why the band became so successful was because of that friction. <laughs> but this was one person who stuck through it 
right from day one till what it is today and i'm guessing and they are active even today so i'd like to sit down with him and sort of get to hear his experiences and how he could stay calm and you know not be perturbed by the happenings and going around in terms of what was happening around him you know the <laughs> bank fall your members coming in more egos coming in and yet still remain creative you know so <laughs> That would be a far more interesting conversation and a more enriching one. I'd pick up some life skills. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, if you have that conversation, I'd like to hear what you learned from that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate your insights, your uh, sharing your personal experience and your aha moments, and uh, I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show, and it was nice talking to you. And there were many things that you took me back memory lane, and you also asked me some tough questions. It was exciting to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Getting to Aha was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com, and make sure to search for Getting to Aha in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.